The Pinball Network is online. Launching the Aussie Pinball Podcast. Monday morning feels so bad. Hello and welcome to episode 9 of the Aussie Pinball Podcast. Coming Tuesday This episode we're joined by yet another Novacastrian, this time Chris Slevin, straight out of downtown Newcastle. Chris is famous for a number of things in Australia, not the least being the founder, with his brother Dom, of Pizza and Pinball, one of the best ex-pinball venues in the country. Chris is also one of the founders of Pinfest, Australia's largest pinball show. And he's also the Australian distributor and importer for Spooky Pinball. How all these three things connect, let's find out chatting to Chris. So welcome to the Aussie Pinball Podcast, Chris Slevin, straight out of Newcastle, born and bred with. You're our second Novacastrian to be on the uh, Pinball Podcast, so it's obviously the centre of pinball in Australia. What do you think? Uh, Newcastle always been the centre of pinball in Australia, thanks to the uh, Henkin Pinball Company, who manufactured pinballs right in the centre of town for a few years. Um, Did you have... We are, we are pinball. <laughs> Did you have much to do with David? I have met David a number of times. Um, I've had him sign a few games. He, he comes to our festival occasionally. Nice. I'm desperately trying to get a hold of him to come on the podcast. He's a bit reclusive now, but I will keep plugging away to get him because he's got so much history involved in pinball in Australia. Fingers crossed, but back to you, baby. So, born and bred Novacastrian, what's the appeal of living there? It's, it's just the perfect place, mate. <laughs> it's, it's right in the centre of the country. We get... Um, the beautiful weather, we don't get the extreme heat, we don't get the extreme cold, and um, for travelling-wise, you're, you're, you're right in the centre, you can travel up and down the coast quite easily, and it's a very easy-going, casual sort of town, like one big suburb, really. And, and it seems too easy, because it is, because the border control is very chilled, but then you get like to the customs, which is the most hardcore place in the world. <laughs> I don't know what the hell happened in Australia, but you guys need to chill out when it comes to fruit. <laughs> People are standing there being stripped shirts. Where did you get the apple? I don't care if you can't speak English. You're gonna spend a week in quarantine, mate. Where did you get the apple? I don't care. I don't care. Where's the apple from? You see people, there's like there was a guy that was stopped for weed. Is that marijuana? Well, don't do it again, but you with the apple! Back to where you came from. What what did fruit do to your country? No, it's great. You've got some very good golf courses, some very good vineyards around there. Yes, yes, we do. Lots of them too, lots of both of them. I love the Hunter Valley vineyards. I'm quite sure you do. (laughs) And your pinball background. So should we give a clue to how old you are, you sprightly young man, and how long you've been in the pinball game? Uh, Well, early 50s, I grew up playing pinball. I was lucky enough to grow up in that era where pinball was everywhere. The corner shops, the arcades, we had some big arcades thanks to Hankin, and it was everywhere. And I started playing, uh, my mum had a corner shop, and when I was eight or nine, she got the first pinball she got in there was a Matahari. So I used to play, play away on that. And a couple of minutes down the road were a couple of corner shops that had three or four in their back room. I was 15 minutes away from the local bowling alley, which had probably at that stage probably a lineup of 10 machines. And yeah, they were just everywhere. Yeah. It was awesome. Did David have anything to do with arcades or just in the manufacturing side? No, they, they ran um, some big arcades in Newcastle. Uh, the main one would have been Orbit One, which was offered at the, uh, one of the local picture theatres in uh, the heart of Newcastle. And that was uh, a mecca. You'd go, I'm off to the pictures, Mum, and, oh, but the picture's not for three hours. Oh, that's all right. <laughs> so you'd be, you'd be in there for a few hours and hopefully you make your session, depending on how much money you had left, and then straight back over there afterwards. Wow. And, um, no, I think they had 
or two or three local uh, arcades at that stage, and they were they were big places. Wow! Uh, even by today's standard, they were big big arcades. So, what came first, the Orbiter One arcade or the Orbiter One pinball machine? Orbit. It was just Orbit One, not Orbiter. Sorry. So their first uh, pinball machine was called Orbit. I think that was a homage to the already opened uh, arcade. Did not know that. Pinball history, great stuff. Full of it, mate, full of it. And I don't want to confuse it with Orbiter, which is the one with the warped play field. Is that Orbiter? That's the Orbiter. No, that's, that's the, that's the I, stern Orbiter. I don't want to slur the original Orbit <laughs> one with Orbiter. <laughs> I mean, you play it once for a novelty, but oh, my gosh. <laughs> Well, that's a, that, that's a bit like Orbit. It uh, it wasn't exactly packed with features. A couple of uh, what are they? Vary targets yep. and some pop bumpers and that. But um, for a company's first machine, you can't expect too much. And um, locally produced, so yeah. can't complain at all. Excellent. Followed up by some great titles in in How's That, How's that? You Empire Strikes Back, and Shark, and FJ. I'm so very Australian themes, except in Star Wars. I'm busting to find out whether he got an actual license for Star Wars. I assumed he did, and how hard was it in those days to get it? I don't know how hard it was, but I do know he had it. He had it. Wow. Yep. Oh, one of the uh, yeah, one of the big licenses to get in those days. So well done, David. Yes, very. I don't know if he knew someone or he just asked the right person, but yes, apparently, from what I've been told, it was licensed. Wow, good stuff. So we'll get more gossip for David one day. Now, come on, David. Come on the podcast. So, <laughs> so you grew up playing like every kid in the uh, in the bowling alleys and the fish and chip shops and all that. When did the uh, hobby really bite? So that was the seventies and eighties, and then the arcades, as you know, sort of died off in the nineties. And um, yeah, I used to play rugby, and I gave that up when I was about thirty three, and started um, looking for something else to to be an interest and fill in my time. And I just thought, how about that pinball dream? I wonder if you can buy them. I wonder what the story is because they were hard to find to play on site. And then I just, one day I was, I grabbed a Yellow Pages and actually I was in Sydney and I grabbed a Yellow Pages and I tore out a certain page and I went home and just started ringing numbers. And most of them were operators who were not really interested in talking to you. And I eventually stumbled across a guy who's gone, yeah, I service and sell pinball machines. Uh, come down and have a look and me and my brother went down one afternoon and um, spent about four hours there and he was fantastic he had a shed full of games to sell he promised us that if anything broke on it because naturally we knew nothing about them uh, we knew how to play them but we'd never <laughs> taken the class off and he, he said yeah if anything goes wrong with it I can fix it and uh, that afternoon we came home with a, um, a Gottlieb solid state and um, it just started from there wow what was the game? Uh, countdown. Ah, such a good game. It was a great game. Yeah. And um, after three months of playing it for a couple of hours a night, we think, oh, we're going to wear this one out. Maybe we should buy some others. <laughs> so... And, and, and in, in those three months, nothing had gone wrong with it, so that was a good sign. And um, so back on the phone, back to Sydney, came home with a couple more. <laughs> and as you know, one turns into a hundred. So uh, go on, make us all cry. How much did you pay for that first game? <sighs> oh, I think I got ripped off, really. I paid a 1000 bucks. Oh, what year was this? Uh, that would have been about 2003. <laughs> that was actually a fair bit I, for I, those days. <laughs> Well, yeah, well, that's the thing. It, it, was, it wasn't the cheapest. I, I ended up, I did, in the, in the ensuing few years, I did buy games for a lot cheaper. Yeah. Where you'd buy working ones for 500 bucks yeah. and things like that. But, but, um, but you got the countdown for 1000 and it was a reliable, probably well-maintained game. It wasn't a beater. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, that's not bad. As long as, I mean, there's nothing worse than buying a game for 500 getting it home, and it lasts three weeks, and then it stops, and you have no idea how to make it work again and you sit in the corner oh, yeah. and gathers dust so no nah. yeah it's yeah see if that had happened it probably would have all ended there yeah. and i was going ah well I'm not wasting my money on that anymore yeah but um because it was so reliable and like i said we were, we were pumping three and four hours a night into it yeah. um we just thought oh well, this seems to be all right they're obviously fixable yep and um yeah so i just built from there so you you bought your one you bought your second how many do you reckon you've purchased over the years now i have lost track but i reckon 
I'd be on a 150. <laughs> the minimum number required to be called a hobbyist. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, I don't still have them all, no. or I'd be a, a retired millionaire. Yeah, it was just the joy of like back then, where you could you'd buy a game and you'd keep it for six months, twelve months, sell it for what you bought it for, and buy the next one, and it's just so easy. It was unbelievable. So, in your collection at any one time, how many games would you have? At the moment, now it's twenty. Right, it is what I and I've I don't buy a lot anymore because the prices and they're as you know so hard to find. I. I that's what I can fit in my shed pretty much. Well. And what sort of mix? NEMs, all solid state, new? I actually have probably one of every era. I've got a wood rail. I've got a couple of EMs. I've got solid state. I've got dot matrix. I've got LCDs. Okay, give me a favourite. Uh, no, I'm not going to say because it's the worst question that I get asked all the time, your favourite. I'm going to ask you your secret shame. What game do you love to play that most people don't particularly like <gasps> my secret shame i like solid state games that's probably my go-to game i don't really know what everyone else doesn't like but i know my hank and shark which i unfortunately no longer have was probably one of my favorite games to play hello well hi name's bruce it's all right i understand why trust a shark right <laughs> Along with how's that, I just like them for some reason, and they they got a lot of flack. <laughs> um, they're, they're not the easiest games to keep running, I will admit, but I really enjoyed playing them. So I'd say probably Shark. Okay, what made them hard yeah. to maintain? Reliability. Okay, just board issues was the main ones. Like I had uh, the Shark kept having sound problems. Um, once you boost the flipper power on them. They play really well, but because of their board problems, they're all in, like, the play fields are all beautiful. You re- rarely see a Hankin with a worn-out play field, and a lot of the times that's because once they stopped operating them, <laughs> they sat and didn't get used. Right. But luckily for me, I know the best technician in Australia called Ken, <gasps> who, when you twist his arm hard enough, will fix your Hankin for you. I'm guessing his last name may be Shipley. That would probably be him. <laughs> he does all my board work for me, Ken. He's so good. I was probably two years in. I happened to buy a couple of games off a, an older fellow up around this way, and he gave me Ken's number. And honestly, without Ken, I still wouldn't be. I wouldn't still be in pinball because no. he, he can solve everything. Yeah. He's, he's a genius. I mean. And a nice bloke. Yeah. I mean, the underrated person in the whole pinball hobby is the pinball tech. Oh, big time. Hi. Um, sorry, I just want to get my... Pinball. Fixed if that's okay. Yeah, sure. Let's have a look. Oh, sorry. Is there a technician in today? Yep, yeah, that's me. I'll, um... So what's, it, what's the problem on this? It won't boot. Ah, right, yep. Okay. Um, well, I think I know what to do, actually. Great. Oh! Oh my! What are you doing? No! Oh, Hang on, I'm just trying another thing. This this might actually do it. Hold oh, on! No. Two and three. Oh, don't please stop doing that. How would that work? All right, there's one other option. No! Oh, no! Okay. Why did you do that? God, oh, uh, you that. Fixed it. Well, yeah. Sometimes these older models just need a bit of a special touch. A special touch. Yeah. Thank, thank you. Not a problem. We're lucky in Australia that you know when I first started collecting here on the Gold Coast, we had a guy called Beaky, whose real name's oh, Andrew, yep. and he used to come over to my house. Someone said oh, I was a guy here that fixed machines. He came over. He gave a game a once over, and he arrived at seven, and he left at twelve thirty <laughs> at night. <laughs> just going through <laughs> games. And I'm going, I just want one thing fixed. He's, oh, no, look at this, look at this. And he just did it, charged me like 50 bucks yeah. <laughs> and just kept coming over and taught me and fixed games. And my wife goes, who's that man that just keeps coming over? <laughs> um, unfortunately, we lost him to Melbourne. But then uh, by then I had learned a lot about pinball. But we've got, you know, we've got so many people around Australia that you, if you get in pinball hobby, you need to find a tech nearby. 
Yes. So, and they are invaluable because they do break and you do have to learn how to maintain them yourself. What, what's your favourite pinball maintenance tip that you love or hate the most? I think one of the big tips I got on early was get magnetic tools. Oh, yes. Because you drop. You unscrew things, you drop them, and they will disappear. And it's amazing so, where they can go. Like, oh, it's sometimes they never come back. Right, and you hear tick, 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 tick. <laughs> you're waiting for the dull thud of the base of the cabinet, and it never happens. Oh, it's so bad when that doesn't happen. <laughs> just, just like those little uh, extendable magnets. Yep. It's like you, yep. with the, the telescope thing, just one of them. Like, if you haven't got one of them, you're in trouble. Got one of those. <laughs> yeah. I've got two or three of those. Yeah, and then you need your magnetic uh, socket yep. and your magnetic screwdrivers. Yep, yeah. yep. With, with, with magnets, you will have a lot less stressful time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The other thing I use my magnets for is I bought a tumbler when I was restoring a funhouse to put all the, uh, oh, the yep. metal parts in to vibrate them to the walnut tumbler. You can search for an hour to find missing bolts, but you put your magnet in, stir it around, and then you've got four on the end of your magnet, and you're happy. So they yep. are indispensable. Yes, Magic, multi tools they are. Yeah, indispensable. So you started buying games. It started to accelerate at a stupid rate. Tell me about moving them around a little around Australia. What happened there? Travel all over the countryside. Ask the Leylands. Ask the Leylands. Travel all over the countryside. Ask the Leyland brothers. Well. We were lucky enough because I did all of this with my brother Dominic. It was like we lived together, we've got the big shed, and we both had the passion. But uh, at, when we started, we were actually working as couriers, uh, not just local couriers. We would do interstate couriering and long distance couriering and stuff like that. So basically, we were lucky enough to have at our disposal utes all the time. And there's nothing better than a ute when you want to move a pinball machine. So it came down to we'd, um, we'd get long distance jobs to Melbourne or Queensland and um, you get on the internet and make some phone calls and see if there was anything for sale. And on the way back with your empty ute, you thought, oh, I'll just pop by there and fill up this ute. <laughs> so um, so it became very easy to transport games for us because we had the right vehicle. With, with the ute and a couple of tarps, we moved at least 100 of them games wow. up and down the coast, and it was just, just a dream. Was it one at a time? How many could you fit in the ute? Depending on like solid states, you could probably fit on a tray back ute. If you, if depending on how keen you are, you can probably fit four on there pretty wow. easily. We're removing the head box. Yep. Yep. Occasionally, I'd have a uh, a Pantech truck, a flatbed truck, and I think the most I got on that was a dozen. After I quit that job, and I ended up with a uh, a van, I did manage to jam five in a van one day. Okay. So, um, yeah, if, if you're a bit um, imaginative and you've got the Tetra skills <laughs> and a few um, ratchet straps, you can, you can fill them I up. I understand you dropped by a little chap called Tony on the way back from Queensland. One, one of my favourite pleasures of going to central Queensland was to, to detour via Brisbane on the way back and um, peruse what was in his warehouse at the time. And there was always something that seemed to have my name on it and... It always seemed to have a couple of friends, so I had to take them all home. And they, and you remember, you've shot with him. He was, it was just like you'd go in there and you'd want, there was something you were looking for, and you'd stumble across three or four others. And the prices were so amazing, you'd just go, Yep, yeah. I'll take them all. And you'd go home, you'd clean them up, you'd play them. And like I said, that was when you could just flip them and then pocket full of money next visit to tony here i come uh, was, but uh he was he was fantastic he's lined up as a guest later on the podcast too because it's just amazing the number of containers you'd bring in from overseas refurbish the games within an inch of their life and then uh yeah that'd end up at my house <laughs> and yours <laughs> <laughs> and lots of other people's houses yeah. he, he had some uh he would have had people calling him regularly i think yeah. um so good and he was he was he was Fantastic to deal yeah. with. Great fella and just great to deal with. For sure. So uh, we miss you, Tony. We miss you. He's still alive. <laughs> I know he's still alive. He's retired. Um, we, yeah. We yeah. will talk with him soon and find out all the dirty stories about people. <laughs> I'm sure there'll be a few. Yeah. So 
And then, uh, so the good collection. And then uh, what happened with uh, someone decided to start cooking, I understand? Well, we got um, we got sick of the careering after a while and we had a shed full of pinball machines and probably at that stage we probably had 30 would have jammed in there and screwed away at other people's houses and stuff like that. And I thought we wanted to do something different and we wanted to do something with pinball and that not just do something with pinball as in like rent them out or we wanted to bring pinball back to the people and make because at this stage it was still in newcastle there was nowhere to play pinball you would like i said you'd be lucky to find a pair and we wanted somewhere where you could go and play more than one game more than one type of game and not the same game all the time so it was a matter of we've got these games we can just put them all together rotate them around and see how we go and so i gave up the curing job and hunted around and found an old shop which happened to be a, used to be an Italian restaurant which uh, had a pizza oven in it and we one of our jobs growing up we worked for one of the local pizza delivery companies so oh, we thought yeah we know how to make pizza and so we thought why not we'll give it a go 30 small margaritas 30 medium supremes 30 large meat lovers and 30 family El Scorchies that'll be $600 thanks and we did so we just uh, we, we took out a, a three-year lease. We spent three months cleaning up this dilapidated shop that had been abandoned by its previous owners for about I think it was about eight years, and uh, had 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 a flood go through it in that time. So yeah, we spent a lot of money and a lot of time fixing that up, and we opened uh, Pizza and Pinball in late 2011 setup we started out with was we had seven games in the front part of the shop and a couple of tables and after about six months we managed to clean out a back room which we fit I think we had 12 games in there so we'd we'd vary between opening the back room for coin play because everything was on coins and would also hire it out for parties which um, became a huge hit, actually. The uh, the and not just and we were thinking, oh yeah, we're going to sort of attract a crowd of our age, sort of who remembered the pinballs. But the best thing about Peach and Pinball was the guys our age bringing their kids to play and see pinball machines. And um, so a lot of children had their first experience with pinball, and we got to watch and enjoy that for six years. We had that one going. Wow. Was it licensed? No, that would have helped, but uh, no, it was not licensed. No, you don't need it when you go good pizza. Okay, the age-old question, should there be pineapple on pizza? Well, there can be pineapple on pizza as long as I'm not eating it. <laughs> okay, pizza purist. <laughs> yes, yes. Anchovies? Uh, it, it, I prefer not to be in the room with a anchovy pizza, but sometimes you have to be. <laughs> but uh, no, the, the the aroma of a cooking anchovy is something I'll never forget. <laughs> You've been to pinball conventions, though. It's a very similar aroma. It's not far <laughs> off, yes. <laughs> so that's good. So you ran tournaments here as well? Yeah, we um, we started up a local monthly league. This was at the stage where the IFPA point tournaments were 25 points for tournaments and stuff. So the league was uh, IFPA rated, so that attracted a few of the better players and we'd have more probably one or two a year would just have standalone tournaments they were just run in the back room while we were busily serving people out the front we had all sorts from the beginner players coming in and playing to some of the best players that were going around in the country like to come and flog our machines so it was all sorts it was good that's excellent and then six years and then what happened did you get tired or did the lease run out well, started out with a three-year lease, got another three-year lease, and after six years of running a small business like that, we got tired, basically. Yeah. It was it was seven days a week. It was trying to run the, the pizza side of the business. It was keeping the pinballs working. It was Because one of the things we did is we constantly turned over pinballs. So every month, at least four of the games in the, in the place were changing over. And after we depleted the... 30 we had and everything had been through the shop we were still buying more and more and so it was just a lot of time 
keeping the games running, trying to get new ones up and running, and just the general running of the business. And yeah, it was just it just became too much. Right. Yeah, that, that's very understandable. So what you decided, I think, is put your feet up. Let's have a rest from pinball. But what we'll do is just just organise a pinball convention because that's very relaxing and easy to do. Now tell me about Pinfest. Well, <laughs> Pinfest came about in uh, 2012. So that was still when we had, early on when we had the shop. I got a phone call from a, a local club who'd uh, recently opened and they were looking for something to attract people to their venue, basically. Uh, how he ended up with my phone number, I'm not really sure. He called us and said, I've got this great new pub. It's got some big auditorium room type things in it. I was wondering if she could put on a pinball show. And we thought, oh, pinball show? That's a good idea because from the internet, we'd seen all the ones in the States and thought, always wanted to go to them, but working like that, we didn't have the chance. And so why not have our own? The only catch was, he said, the room's available, but in a week on a weekend in eight weeks' time. Wow. And so, <laughs> so I've put put down the phone and turned to my brother with an amazed look on my face and he's wondering what's going on. I told him what had happened. He's gone, hell yeah, we, let's give it a go. That was that was the start of it. So we've put out a call to some all the locals we knew and told them this crazy idea and um, they were like us and wanted to go to pinball shows but couldn't afford to be traipsing around the world to do it. They jumped on board straight away. The first year, I think there was 15 contributors. We rounded up 60 games. We organised all this in eight weeks' time. We got um, worked out all the logistics of moving them and getting it done. Come the weekend, we spent oh, three days lugging pinballs because the problem with it was we begged, borrowed and stole games off people. And I said, yeah, you can have my game if you can get it there and bring it back to me. So four of us spent three days with the truck moving pinball machines, and the venue was about oh, 45 minutes to an hour away oh. from, it was sort of south of Newcastle, so it was a bit of a trek. And Is that the same yeah. location as that now? No. no. No, we have moved. Yeah, you're north of Newcastle now, aren't you? Oh, we're, no, we're sort of in the western suburbs of oh, okay. Newcastle. Right. We started out down at Caves Beach Side Hotel, That's what I remember. Yep. which is down near, just, just down near Swansea there. And we're now at um, Club Macquarie at Argenton, which is um, about 10 minutes from my house. So ah, I'm very happy about the move. We set it up. We uh, like the Friday night we had them all going. Then the power dropped out, and half the after we turned on half the machines, and we couldn't. All of a sudden, we, there's another problem we had to deal with. By the end of the night, we got it all working, and we went all home exhausted to turn up the next day, and honestly wondered what would happen. So we showed up at ten o'clock on the Saturday morning. We got all the machines clean. We checked everything's working. We're running around like blue ass flies, and then. Opening time came, we've opened the doors and no one showed up. And we're standing around there for the first half hour and looks at each other and gone, who cares? We've got a room full of pinballs to play. Let's start playing pinball. So all of us just started, we just started playing pinballs and think, oh, and then, and then people started to sort of wander in in dribs and drabs. And then about three hours later, the place was packed and like jam packed. It just went on from there we'd me and my brother had fronted the money to set it up and like so the big thought by about 11 o'clock was saying i've just blown all this money but um luckily like i said people came people had a great time uh we kicked them out at five o'clock in the evening and just cleaned the machines and played them ourselves and had a great night mm -hmm. up again the next day did it again half the people who were there the day before came back and they was most of them were on the door at opening time because yeah. they wanted another hit. Yeah. And um, it just went gangbusters. And we were getting questions like, um, so when you want again, is it on next month? Do you take it on the road? And we're just thinking, these people are crazy. Don't they know how much work this was? The uh, the venue were over the moon with the um, response and the amount of people we brought in. And so before we'd even finished, the, uh, the, the owners come up and said, same time next year, guys. <laughs> And we've gone, yeah, why not? Yeah, so it, it's just grown from there. Um, this year will be our 11th year. We've now changed venues. So as I said, we're at Club Macquarie in a, in a bigger space. 
We've got more people like of the original, we've probably still got 10 of those people who are still contributing. I think this year's numbers are we're at about 90 pinball machines with about 65 different contributors. Wow. And not just local contributors. We've got contributors coming from Victoria, Queensland. The the Tassie ma- Mafia have made us one of their holiday spots, so they come up and join in the fun. Yeah, we have machines come from Brisbane, Mackay, uh, Melbourne, um, we get uh, Lyndon from the Pinball Museum. He's, he came last year for the first time and had a great time on his back. And over the years, it's just been that. It's just people come, they're nervous about bringing their game for the first time because you're going to cop three to 400 games on your game on the weekend. But they come, they set it up, we help them as much as we can. Ken comes along, helps the, keep the games running. It runs smoothly. And, and before they've left, they've gone, what's the date for next year? Yeah. And they come back, and every year we've just been picking up more and more contributors. To this, well, at this point now, we've been uh, probably the last two or three weeks we've been knocking back contributors because cool. space-wise we can we can fit more in, but it gets too crowded once the people come in. So we try and keep a nice balance of there are machines ac- accessible. Okay. So it's um, and, and we learn a few things over the last few years because we we did manage to. Um, put it on both years during the pandemic. We reduced our machine numbers. We, we went to small, shorter sessions. We reduced the number of people. But this year, we're back to longer sessions, more people. It should be a wow for time. So the website for PinFest is pinfest.com.au. And date and location? The location is Club Macquarie at Argentine, which is easy to find in Newcastle. Uh, I think all their accommodations booked out, but there's um, plenty not too far away. And the dates are the 17th and 18th of September. Right. So third weekend in September. Cool. And about that same time every year. Um, yeah, we, that that's, has been our optimal time. We did move it a bit later in because the problem with the rooms we now use, it's a wedding venue mainly. Um, so they did actually have to move us to November for the last two years to fit us in. They've now cemented a spot for us every year nice. at, um, in September because that's our preferred that's nice. uh, date. Yep. That's nice. P- pinball yeah. over matrimony, much better. Perfect. That's great. Excellent. Well, yeah, it's how many on your committee that help organise it? Um, honestly, there'd probably be about six of us. Nice do the work uh and they have been the same people since uh pretty much all the start uh, a few others come and go but uh everyone seems to have a specialized job at the moment marco is the king of the um contributors list uh he's also very heavily in our uh, he pretty much runs our facebook page um and brett has been helping him with that uh dave hamo has been our shirt designer since year dot he um he likes to to pull out some interesting designs. Jeff is our elder statesman who has been a great guiding light to me over the years, and he's uh, he ranged me back on my crazy ideas and suggestions, and helps me um, get things done. And the other guys just come along. They'll help load your games. They'll help unload your games. They'll help clean your games. Um, it's really been. Everyone, every, once the weekend hits, everyone's a part of it. Yeah. And that's that's the great thing. It's fairly easy to run now. We do, like, we don't push the envelope too much. We know what to do. We know what we need. And we just try and make it as easy as possible on ourselves and everyone else. Nice. And then you can all just retire for life on the huge profits you make. <laughs> uh, well, it's a nice dream, but we don't every, – every profit we make, we give to charity. Oh, wow. Okay. So over the so, so last year we gave ten thousand dollars to the local charity of Soul Cafe, who uh, who help homeless people on the streets, and we've probably raised about a hundred thousand dollars over the ten years. Wow, nice. Um, and we just want to keep that going. See, folk, this is what pinball people do. <laughs> yeah, it's, it was the, <clears throat> there was no point me trying to run this show and make money out of it, it wouldn't have worked. I couldn't have done it because uh, people wouldn't have helped the way they help. The amount of time they sacrificed, the machines they bring along, like 
they prepare beforehand. Sometimes they go home broken. We try and fix everything before it leaves. But the travellers who travel for the weekend put themselves up in accommodation, buy food and drink and that kind of thing. It's like it's one thing to have a good time, but these people are putting in their own pocket, bringing it out to help us raise money for local charities. And that has been uh, something we haven't been able to thank them enough for, really. And we hope they get the same fuzzy feeling out of it at the end of it when we go, this is how much we're giving away this year. So nice. So cool. Well done. Well done. Now. And now for something completely different. We're going to diverge a little. I want a little bit of uh, a little bit of insight into the best Aussie band or song in your repertoire or playlist that you know of. Who are you going to recommend that people listen to? Best Aussie bands. Well, what solo I artist? Picked up, I, I picked up a jukebox not long ago, oh. and one of the old forty fives, and I found Easy Beats songs is something I've been chasing. Oh, so good. <laughs> Easy Beats. And then there's stuff I grew up with, like Red Gum. I was only 19. Angels, Skyhooks, Paul Kelly, Mental as Anything. You're not allowed to list every great Australian artist in the world, because <laughs> they're all they're all brilliant. But Easy Beats, I love. All right, and I have to chuck in the Screaming Jets because they're a local. Beat. Oh, that's Newcastle. Yep, you've got Screaming Jets and Silverchair. Yep. We're a, we're a rocking town. We're not, it's not only pinball, but we rock as well, mate. I reckon Easy Beats for the oldies like me, because yep. they were just extraordinary. Uh, yeah. And Screaming Jets, because uh, they are just yep. out of control. All right. Or, you can, or, or if you really want to find an old one, yep. Bob Hudson. Oh, no. Don't you ever Up in Newcastle, they have very strange mating habits. All the young women of Newcastle walk down the main street, which is called Hunter Street, for reasons that will become obvious later on in the song. All the young men of Newcastle drive down Hunter Street in their hot FJ Holdens with chrome-plated grease nipples and double reverse overhead twin cam door handles. Sitting eight abreast in the front seat, and they lean out the window and say real cool things to the sheilers on the footpath, like, uh, good eye. Because <laughs> uh, a chance go by, baby. Yeah, <laughs> good That's old Hudson one. Street. Oh, I remember. That... I remember that was a hit. Like what the f- Australia playing on their radio? <laughs> <laughs> That's how we live in Newcastle, yeah. mate. Don't let a chance go by. And apart from music, what Aussie cinema do you recommend people go and see? Another Newcastle link, Ooh. Young Einstein. Oh no, Yahoo Serious. <laughs> Yahoo Serious film. I thought film he was Tasmanian. No. Oh. no. Warner Brothers presents a new kind of comedy. His name is... Albert. Albert Einstein. Mr. Never. For every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. He is destined to create the most powerful scientific theories in history. I discovered the formula for splitting beer atoms. An atomic bomb. If ever the world needed a revolutionary new theory, it's now. The incredible untold story of the greatest mind of all time. Albert Einstein, Apple Farmer. No, no, no. He was the tire fitter from Cardiff. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> but um, Young Einstein is filmed around Newcastle. And if you know Newcastle, you you just watch that movie and just think, wow, I've been there. I've played there. I've done this. I want to go there. He had the most extraordinary from nothing to Rich's story and then back to yeah. absolute obscurity. Within two yep. movies. What, yeah. Oh, yeah. what did you do? Young Einstein and the Ned Kelly ripoff was the second one? What was the second one? Oh, yeah, it was the Ned Kelly one. Yeah. <laughs> the incredible untold story of the greatest outlaw of all time. To make an epic like this, you've got to be serious. What? Yahoo Serious is... Fred Kelly. Gene Kelly. Grace Kelly. Grace Kelly. 
reckless Kelly. I can't remember the name and of it. They just disappeared into nothing. Yeah. I, yeah. I just thought it was a Tasmanian, Newcastle boy. You can be proud. Yeah. Well done. Oh, yeah. <laughs> We've got some good ones, mate. <laughs> What's your uh, preferred holiday spot away from Newcastle with all your travelling? I mean, did you ever leave the East Coast? Did you get anywhere into the middle or west? Oh, we went out to South Australia a few times. We went uh, into central Queensland, Mount Isa and Emerald and those all the areas where the mines were. That's what we dealt with mainly so why we saw why because the mines need parts and they're willing to pay okay so we were we were breakdown specialists so they'd um they'd have a machine breakdown we'd get the part and take it straight to you we weren't like a normal courier we were they called a hurricane courier so Oof. they'd ring they'd ring me up at any time of the day or night and say we need one of these motors from this place wow. and we need it to this mine in the middle of nowhere and we need it now wow and so we'd go and pick it up and we'd drive it straight there. So from Newcastle to Emerald, you can do it in 14 hours if you're keen enough. Cannonball run style. Yep, that was what we used to do. <laughs> so uh, and, and, like, they were more than happy to pay the money because they had a half-million-dollar machine sitting there doing, doing nothing. nothing. Yeah. And um, wow. if we get in the, the part there in 20 hours, they've got it fixed and running up in another couple and back to making money. So which particular spot in Australia did you get to and look at and go, wow, this is like nowhere else on earth? In the middle of nowhere, in the middle of Queensland, where you'd just be, the stars were so bright and you didn't realise how many stars there were. It was like driving driving from that stretch between Maury and St George in the middle of the night was always fun. A lot of the times you wouldn't see it during the day, mm. which was strange. <laughs> and then you'd come back and think, wow, it's just farmland. <laughs> or, but at night it's romantic. Did you ever see that? Were they called the Min Min Lights? Did you ever see those? Do you know about those? No. In central no. Australia, they often used to talk about cars driving late at night and they'd see lights coming towards them and then they would get closer and closer and then disappear and it was always this odd optical illusion. I think it had a little bit to do with heat and mirage and all that sort of stuff, but it would confuse people that there was a truck coming towards them and it would disappear. And they used to call them the artesian lights. So we didn't experience that. No, luckily <laughs> I didn't experience that because it would have scared the crap out of me. <laughs> Close encounters of the fourth kind in Australia. All right, so middle of Australia, lots of stars, navigate by the Southern Cross. You're an old romantic at heart, really, aren't you? Oh, yeah, my am. <laughs> so, yeah. But, but I've also got to agree with Michael from AMD. Nelson's yep. Bay is just like, for me, it's 40 minutes up the road and is a it is a beautiful spot to spend some time or, as you say, the Hunter yeah. Valley up amongst the vineyards. Like I said, Newcastle's perfect. Within an hour, I've got there's there's rainforest, there's vineyards, there's beautiful coastline everywhere, and it's just that's why I love what Newcastle. Are those, it's what are those everything. gardens just outside Newcastle that we've been to a couple of times that have got all the all the uh, sculptures in one area and probably Hunter Valley yeah. Gardens. Up amongst yeah, the vineyards, the yeah. are extraordinary. They're uh, great for the kids. Yep. They've got that whole... They do an amazing Christmas yes, light show. we went to that. That runs for like yeah, two months. Yeah. They had a white Christmas uh, with an artificial yep, they, ice they rink did, and a snow field yep. and all that set up there. We live round the other side, Nana. But things change pretty bloody quick. I've got kids now of my own. And I heard them unwrap their prezzies last night when I got home. Santa Claus, you where's me f***ing bike? I've unwrapped all this other junk and there's nothing that I like. I wrote your letter and I come to see you twice. You worn out geriatric fart, you forgot me f***ing bike. Yeah. Yep. It, it, and it's a great place just to wander yep. around. Yeah. It's, so back to pinball. Now, the first mm -hmm. thing I ever heard about pizza and pinball was on a little podcast called the Spooky Pinball Podcast where every episode they would advertise Pitcher and Pinball in Newcastle. And I thought, oh, they must have like regional ads on this podcast. Why is a, a company based in Wisconsin in America advertising a pizza place in Newcastle? What the uh, heck is going on there? Well, we actually were the, the official pizza shop of the Spooky Pinball podcast. Again, why? <laughs> Basically because Chuck's a great fella. I used to listen to um, – he's – Spooky Pinball Podcast. I think I won one of his, uh, the monthly quizzes, which was guess the names of the dozen or so um, pinball sounds that, from his collection. And I won that one time and we just started emailing back and forth and um, sort of just, how you going? And 
what was going on and that sort of thing. And um, I think it was just before we opened the shop when he quit his job and decided to start the Spooky Pinball Company, which partly inspired us to, to make the bold move to, um, to throw it all in and make a big change and try something else. We, naturally enough, we told him what we were doing and uh, he was over the moon for us and thought it was a great idea. He just randomly sent us the picture that I think Jessie uh, alluded to in her interview with you that was just a picture of Charlie and KT and a very young bug and squirrel, which was a promotional poster for um, their, their podcast, uh, just out of the blue. And that's something we hung in the shop from day one and it didn't move. Once again, I was just emailing back and forth, and that's enough. We'd never met. We'd, nah, he'd never been here. I'd never been there. And then he moved on to making the America's Most Haunted and was was selling them, as, yes, as you point to yours and I point to mine because we've both still got them. And he was he was selling them slowly, as the story goes. And I was harassing is probably a harsh word, but haranguing him trying to say, I want one, I want one. I want to buy one. And he's thinking, oh, yeah, sure, sure, sure. I did it long enough that he actually, the idea actually stuck in his head. And luckily, it stuck in his head not long before that Texas show he went to and sold out. And as I discovered, there were a few other Australians who were doing the same thing. So yourself included. And it turned out, I think there was half a dozen in the first one. And he was very sceptical because... He was just a bloke in the middle of Wisconsin knocking up pinball machines. A lot of them he sold friends and people he knew. I don't think that many of them went that far from Wisconsin to start with. And he could go and service them and sort them out if anything went wrong or someone could send it back to him. And he was very nervous about sending them overseas. And I said, why not? Give it a go. I'll What could possibly go wrong? People who- <laughs> what, what could possibly go wrong? Send me a few extra spares. If, if anything goes wrong, I'll help out the people who do it. We'll help each other out. It'll be, there'll be no comeback on you. It's not like we're going to put it back in the box and send it back to you and go it, fix it. The lock's missing off um, the door. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Back, back in the good old days when people who bought pinball knew what they were doing, knew what they were getting in for, and were willing to take the glass off and fix it themselves. I finally convinced him to do it, and so he got on to the, the five other buyers and it happened and we got them shipped over in a as a park container load in a container. I went down to Sydney and picked them up, brought them home and shipped them off to everyone else and everything went great. Uh, everyone loved the game. Uh, we didn't have any serious problems. Any problems we had, you could either email him or ring him and get tech support. It went really well. He was happy with it. I was happy with it. Life was good. And then it, can, it just, just continued on to this day. Um, we did, I think we did 12 Rob Zombies. Uh, and I think uh, of them 12, the, the, the original six bought one and then we found six others. And then there was TNA. I think that was about, oh, I think it was about 20 of them came in. So the first two came as part container load. Then we got the 20, thought, this is enough to put in our own container. So that we started putting them in 20 foot containers and it was just the same system. You'd buy off him. Uh, me and KT would organize the shipping. You'd pay your bill when it got here. You'd pay the GST and port fees, would split it between everyone. I'd get the machines here to Newcastle and then everyone would organize their own shipping and continue on yeah. from there. And it's just, grown and grown and grown and every everyone every title he brings out seems to we sell more i think we're up to 35 expected halloweens and ultramans which should be um probably by the time this airs might actually be in the container on their way nice so when did you actually get to meet charlie well after we closed the shop flogged off a few games because we didn't have room to bring them all home basically we thought we'd go to the States and actually go to one of these pinball shows we've been dreaming of. And so end of, I don't know, start of 2018, we trekked off to America for uh, ended up being a three-month stay. And we first met Charlie at the Texas Pinball Festival, which happened to be the same place I met yeah. you for the first time. Actually, yes. the only time, <laughs> which has always been strange to me, but uh, that's how life goes. And uh, that was the one where he was revealing Alice Cooper. 
And so we got to see the uh, Alice Cooper reveal, which was very nice. And we also got to watch Bowen destroy TNA. But yeah, so we, we they knew we were coming naturally enough. They they got us all access passes to the show, and um, we had a good time. We'd been we'd been in the states for probably three weeks before then. We went to Vegas just to go to the Pinball Hall of Fame, and we just went around hunting pinball arcades and museums for few months so we so we made our way to texas and then we actually made our way to wisconsin and we got we were lucky enough to stay with charlie and kt and his family in their house for about uh six weeks and to fill in the time because there's not a lot to do in benton it is it is actually the quiet sleepy town that he tells us we went and worked in the pinball factory when they were producing tnas and what were you doing i ended up wiring the tna play fields (laughs) which was uh, I was wiring playfields and Dom was doing cabinet assembly. Wow. And it was uh, it was an eye-opening time. Like, we really got to see how the place worked and uh, we got to meet all the guys. And one thing that amazed me, out of all the oh, – there was probably – they had 10 staff at that stage. One of them owned a pinball wow. machine. All the rest were just young local blokes who – given jobs to and that um they they all had specific areas they worked in and they were very good at them yeah they they didn't know a lot about pinball but um they loved what they were doing and they were, it was a great time it was a great place to work except for lucas and his country music <laughs> and he's too he, big to complain to I, I yeah i let him know how i felt because <laughs> because he would he'd sit up in the bay next to me for a few hours a day um assembling the play field uh, mechanisms onto the playfield, which then would come over to um, me or Seth to uh, wire up. And so he'd get out his, um, usually his country music, blare it out, thinking he was annoying me. And I did. All the sheilers think I'm handsome, their fathers think I'm mad. Their mothers think I'm a villain, but I'm just a lovable lad. It was pretty funny, but I uh, gave him a bit of a time about it occasionally. Yeah, so we, we joined the Minions and became Minions for six weeks and, and lived in Charlie and KT's house just as they were um, their, their old house while they were building their other one. And we just had a great time. And yeah, Charlie... Emery really is the nicest guy I've ever met yeah. in pinball. He's just a lovely fella. And uh, KT's fantastic. They couldn't do enough for us. Bug and Squirrel were great. And all the all the other minions were great. We just had a ball yeah, of a time. They are so cool. They are good. You should have played uh, yeah. the Newcastle song over and over for Lucas. <laughs> I, I really should have, shouldn't I? Yeah. Next time, I think I might. an unusual behaviour. No, but great. Like, I said to you earlier, the first time I met them uh, at Texas, I was overwhelmed for a couple of days, just wandering, meeting everyone, drinking, having a great time playing pinball. And I was in the spooky booth chatting to them and Charlie brought all this Chinese food in. And he said, uh, looked at me as I was looking at it. He said, "Uh, do you want some dinner? And I said, oh, yes. He said, have you had dinner? I said, I haven't had anything to eat for about a day and a half. So, yes, please. (laughs) So I brought a couple of bottles of wines over. I think Brian Kelly drank one and a half of them, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's about right. <laughs> we managed to share the leftovers and uh, had some lovely Chinese food, and, and uh, ended up being interviewed and uh, appearing on their podcast uh, uh, title logo. But uh, no, they are wonderful folk, and uh, I love their games, and uh, I'm very much looking forward to the next title that they release. The little birdie tells me it's going to be another another killer, like Rick and Morty. So we'll wait and see. I know they they're well into um, development of it, but. Um exactly what that will be we'll have to wait and find out exciting stuff all right well that's been really cool to chat to you and catch up again even though it wasn't in person and uh i look forward to meeting you again and best of luck with pinfest and your future endeavors uh yeah good on you mate all right, no, thank you very much, John. Uh, I've been enjoying the podcast. You're doing great thank work. You. It's uh, it's good to hear an Aussie voice talking pinball. I, I personally, I do not listen to many podcasts, um, but uh, I've I I, stumbled, I think I stumbled across yours when I saw the Michael Bauer interview and possibly posted to their right. page, and I, I listened to your back catalogue. And uh, no, I think cool. you're doing a, a great it all job. All depends on the people I talk to, and you're one of them, baby. <laughs> Oh, you, you draw them out very <laughs> well, you, I mate. Think. All right, catch you next time. 
And that's it for this podcast. I hope you enjoyed catching up with yet another Nova Castrian and learning all about his involvement with Pinfest Pizza and Pinball and Spooky Pinball. And we'll leave you with one of his favourite tracks from the Screaming Jets. And don't forget, all feedback's welcome. Aussie Pinball Podcast at gmail.com. Catch you again in a couple of weeks, and I think we'll have a chat to Tony Turner of the Pinball Shed fame. Speak to you then. Bye-bye. Saying I was the wildest scene, so wake up. And-